I would like to see the five that are going to be baptized tonight stand up. You may be seated. Let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. I hope that you all know my favorite verse about baptism, which I hope is the favorite verse for most of you. 1 Peter 3.21. My second favorite place to go to for baptism is 2 Kings 5, and that is strange. Because because baptism was not known in the Old Testament except for one man who baptized himself. 2 Kings chapter 5. I want to ask and answer a question tonight. Is baptism foolish? We are going to go outside in a little while. Pools have been closed for the season because it's too cold to do this. We're going to be clothed, which is not the way you usually go into the water. There's going to be a large crowd watching, and a man is going to take children and put them under the water and dunk them. From all that can be seen, it looks foolish. But I thank God that I serve a Savior who is so wise that he ordained baptism to appear foolish, to see who loves him enough to be made a fool for Jesus' sake. Do you five want to become fools tonight for Jesus' sake? Amen. We're all fools together for Jesus' sake. 2 Kings 5. I want to read one verse at a time and comment briefly on it, and we'll cover the first 14 verses and will not take long. Verse 1 of 2 Kings 5. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. This man is a combination of our Colin Powell and our Secretary of Defense, Donald Rumsfeld, because he was captain of the host. He had all the responsibility for the armies of Syria. He was a great man. He was an honorable man, and the king of Syria loved him and respected him highly and appreciated all that he had done because the Lord was with Naaman, even though he was a Syrian, Look what it says. By him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. The Lord can pick whom he chooses to pick and bless them among any nation. And he was a mighty man in valor. He was courageous on the battlefield. He was not just a paper pusher. He just didn't make decisions at the Pentagon far from the action. He was a mighty man in valor. Here was a brave soldier who was responsible for all the armies of Syria, but he was a leper. Leprosy is an incurable disease. It eats the flesh and the skin away until eventually you die. There is no cure for it. And there certainly wasn't a cure for it in the days of the Old Testament. Verse 2. And the Syrians had gone out by companies. If you were to ask Brother Stephen and Brother Michael after the service, you would find out that 
Even our military still uses companies, doesn't it? And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. When these Syrians had made some excursions against Israel, they had come back with a little girl who they made a servant girl for Naaman's wife. So this leper, who was the Secretary of State and the Secretary of War, Secretary of Defense for the nation of Syria, his wife had a little servant girl who happened to be an Israelite. Verse 3, And she said unto her mistress, that is to Naaman's wife, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. The little girl sees that her mistress' husband, Naaman, has leprosy. And notice that there's an exclamation point in here. The little maid from Israel says, Would God, my Lord, that is Naaman, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And she said it so confidently. Remember, we have an exclamation point here. I hope you can see that. She said it so confidently that this just wasn't some crazy little notion of a little girl. Someone heard this and took advantage of those words. Verse 4. And one went in and told his Lord, that is Naaman's Lord, the king of Syria. One went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. O king, you know we have that little girl, that little maid from Israel that is waiting on Naaman's wife. It has been said that she knows that there's a cure for your leprosy in Samaria, the capital of Israel. That there's a prophet there that can recover Naaman from his leprosy. The king loved Naaman. The king loved Naaman because he'd been successful with Naaman in charge of his armies. Verse 5, And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. Naaman, I want you cured too. Go to Israel, and I'll send you a letter to get you cured of leprosy. And he departed, and took with him ten talents of silver, and six thousand pieces of gold, and ten changes of raiment. Oh, the noble ideas of men on how they're going to get cured. It's going to be expensive to get rid of an incurable disease, don't you think? So let's take ten talents of silver. Now, a talent of silver in Old Testament times was 116 pounds and 11 troy ounces. That'd be something around $600 a talent today because silver is basically down to the price of stones in the street these days. Now, 6,000 pieces of gold, if those were $20 gold pieces of the U.S., that'd be about $2.4 million. If they were smaller, it'd be somewhat less, but he's taking quite a sum of money is the point. And ten changes of raiment or clothing. Notice the king. He hears the news. He wants Naaman cured of his leprosy. So he writes a letter and he tells Naaman, you've got a leave of absence. Go to Samaria and get cured. Verse 6, And he, that is Naaman, brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. 
Naaman comes in to the capital of Israel, comes to the king of Israel, and says, I'm sent by the king of Syria. Here's a letter. The king of Israel opens up the letter, and it's addressed from the king of Syria to the king of Israel, saying, When you read this letter before you stands my servant, Naaman, I want you to cure him of his leprosy. Let's read the next verse. Verse 7. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh the quarrel against me. The king of Israel was sure that this was a ploy to create animosity or a trick between the two nations so that they would end up in war. And the king of Israel tore his clothes because he asked him, I God, do I have the power of God to cure a man of his leprosy? Look at this. You counselors, consider this with me. Surely he's just trying to start a fight. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Amen. 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 You know, it was on the news that night. The king has rent his clothes. Somehow it was communicated to Elisha. Could have been communicated more quickly than our, any news media. Elisha knew that the king had rent his clothes. Remember, Elisha could see things other people couldn't see. Do you remember? Amen. Okay. And so he comes to, and he sends a message back to the king of Israel, send him to me. I wouldn't mind showing him that there's a man of God, a prophet of God in Israel. I'll take care of it for you. Verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot, and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. Now Elisha is a humble man of God. Have you followed this man at all in your memories to remember that he was so poor he, he would often live with widows? Right. He was very poor. So he wasn't living in some big house. He was living in a small house, an obscure house, and look what's before the house in the driveway or in the street. Horses and a chariot and the captain of the host of Syria at his door. Now, I can tell you one thing. When he was before the king of Israel, he was treated with due honor and respect. Mm -hmm. And now he's standing at this humble little house with an address that he has on a piece of paper. His horses are in the street. and There's a chariot there. And all the servants that would come along to protect 6,000 pieces of gold, 10 talents of silver, and 10 changes of raiment, and all the servants that would accompany an important man like Naaman. And he stands at the door, and he rings the doorbell. Verse 10. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, <laughs> This is the Lord, and how he deals with men who are in important positions. Do you understand? Elisha is sitting in the living room in his lazy boy. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. He doesn't come to the door. 
He doesn't bow before him. He doesn't salute. He doesn't say, I'm so honored to have you at my house. He doesn't do anything. He just sends his servant out to the door. Go tell him to go to the Jordan River and dip seven times. Now, you're not used to being treated like that. You're Naaman, the captain of the host of Syria, which was a great nation at this time in the history of the Old Testament. You are not used to being treated like this. But things haven't changed, brethren, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. When it comes to the worship, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, forgive me, when it comes to the worship of Jesus Christ, is there bond or free? No. Is there male or female? No. Is there Jew or Greek? No. Is there master or servant? No. Not when it comes to our relationship in Jesus Christ. Now, we have practical relationships among ourselves where those differences are observed, but not when it comes to Jesus Christ. John the Baptist didn't care who you were. Do you think John the Baptist cared? There was only one he cared about. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ. There's, been, there's no difference between the Testaments. Because you're someone important doesn't mean that God's going to treat you like you're someone important. Because before Him, we're all sinners. But I want you to see that Elisha doesn't even come to the door. What effect does that have on a man like Naaman, who's used to his position and influence? Verse 11. But Naaman was wroth. That means very angry. Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Naaman expresses here all the thoughts that he had had inside his heart as he rode his chariot to Elisha's house. Look at this little house that I'm going to with this little address. This is not the White House. This is a little house. Surely this man is going to come out and he's going to stand before me and he's going to call on the Lord God of heaven and he's going to strike his hands over the spot and he's going to cure me in this grand display of a miracle. I love this passage. This is my second favorite passage on baptism. Most want the fancy service when it comes to baptism, christening gowns and all the rest. They don't want to do it. The Lord. Brethren, I love this passage. Amen. We are going to go out there to a baptistry that has leaves in it. It's, it's, fr it's good looking water, but it's got leaves in it. <laughs> There's nothing to get excited about. There's nothing to make the flesh happy. It's not, be it's not a beautiful ceremony. It looks foolish, but that's the way the Lord has done things. Right. Right. And this man is going to learn the lesson that all of our children have learned and all of we have learned, are we willing to be fools for Jesus' sake? And I hope that we are. Amen. He is angry because he thought for sure when, when this little man in this little address sees who's here to see him, he is going to come out here and stand before me and call upon his God and strike his hands over the spot and cure me. It's going to be a, a fantastic event. Now, he's just been mistreated by the prophet. Elisha didn't even come to the door. So his first thought is down the tubes. 
Elisha's not going to come out. Elisha's not going to stand before him. Elisha's not going to call on the name of his God. And Elisha's not going to strike his hands. In fact, he didn't even show him the common courtesy of coming to the door. So as soon as that happens, and Naaman doesn't get the respect that he thinks he deserves, he reasons even further. He doesn't like the, the Jordan River now. Look at verse 12. This is Naaman still talking. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? And they were. Syria was high. Go look at the elevation in the Middle East. The Jordan was at sea level. The Jordan is dirty. It's a filthy river compared to the rivers that he's describing in the mountains of Syria. Aren't they all better and cleaner than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean. So he turned and went away in a rage. Brethren, hear me. Most people will turn and go away from the call of Jesus Christ, and they've always done it because the call of Jesus Christ appears so foolish and demeaning to them, they will not humble themselves to be baptized the Bible way. They want to do it a different way where they get more credit and glory and honor, and it's a prettier, more satisfying event to the flesh. They do not want to go out and do what we're going to do tonight. Most people will not be baptized the way that we're going to baptize tonight. In the last 2,000 years, many of our relatives in the faith have lost their lives for choosing to be baptized the way that Jesus Christ was baptized. Most men will not do it. This man would not do it. He was used to being treated better than this. He did not want to humble himself and go out into a dirty river and dip himself, which would have the, the most foolish thing you can imagine. How is dipping yourself in the dirty Jordan River going to take away your leprosy? I ask you tonight, how is being dipped out here in the pool of a hotel with leaves in it going to give God the answer of a good conscience? Because they're both matters of faith. If God said it, let's obey it. Amen. God wants to see if we'll obey him when there's no glory involved. He turns and he goes away in a rage. And how many have heard the truth of the gospel? They understood some of it. They knew they ought to believe it. What did Agrippa say? What did King Agrippa say? Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. If he would have been altogether persuaded, what would it have cost him? His job, his position, his reputation, his power, his influence. He would have had to let a prisoner dip him in water to be a Christian. He wouldn't do it. King Agrippa said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. What a horrible almost. Because God is asking us to humble ourselves. He went, he, he went away in a rage, brethren, and many have gone away in a rage from the gospel because of the way that Jesus Christ has set it up to test and try our faith. Verse 13, And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, Notice this tender relationship between servants and masters. The people that scream long and loud about slavery and servants being such a horrible thing. Would you please listen to this conversation? My father. Now, doesn't that sound like there's been a whole lot of cruelty? in that relationship. Notice how those servants addressed Naaman. My father, 
If the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then when he saith to thee, wash and be clean? What wisdom. I think of a verse that the Lord Jesus Christ gave us, out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast ordained wisdom and strength. Out of these servants comes such wisdom. This man brought ten talents of silver, six thousand pieces of gold, ten changes of raiment, but he didn't want to dip. What is that, brethren? Pride. Do you all do you all understand that and see that? It's why we're so small. It's pride. Let's not have any of it. If the Lord tells us to do something, let's do it. Even if it's as crazy as dipping seven times in the Jordan River. Let's do it. Pride would not let him. He was willing to pay a great price because when you're able to pay a great price for something, who gets part of the credit? You do. Who gets some of the glory? You do. And the Lord wasn't going to let him have any. But what wisdom? You were willing to do something great, Father. Why won't you just wash and be clean? Oh, what wisdom. What wisdom. Verse 14. He listened to his servants. And do you know what? It often comes down to that with the gospel. You have to listen to the lowest and the basest to be able to follow the Lord because the ones that he's chosen to be his servants, fishermen. Just think of the New Testament. Do you know what it's built upon? Who are the foundation stones of the New Testament church? High IQ Pharisees, great eloquent orators, or fishermen, tax collectors? Did I show you recently how many fishermen there actually were? In the last chapter of John, it wasn't just Peter and Andrew and James and John. After Jesus Christ rose from the dead, we know that at least seven went fishing. A lot of fishermen among the disciples of Jesus Christ. And though those are the foundation stones of the New Testament church. Do you know how hard it was for important men like Theophilus, to whom Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke in the, in the book of Acts, for them to humble themselves? That's why it was so hard for Agrippa. It was too hard for Agrippa. But here he is listening to his servants. Verse 14, Then went he, that's Naaman, down, and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Amen. Amen and amen. That is the story of Naaman the Syrian. And how he was cured of his leprosy, he went and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan River. Does the Jordan River have any healing properties? No. It was a matter of faith. He finally obeyed God. Notice it tells us very carefully that when he obeyed the word of the man of God, his flesh came clean and it was like a little child's because he obeyed. Brethren, let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. That was the first baptism in the, in the Bible. It's not truly. First Corinthians chapter 10 tells us that the whole nation of Israel was baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. He dipped himself seven times. I, th- I love thinking about Naaman out there. 
going down once. Utter humility. Dipping himself, he had to either he either took off his royal. Would he have been dressed up in Samaria, the capital of Israel? Yes. He either took it off or he was getting it very dirty. And he dipped himself once and he came up. Do you think he inspected himself after the first dip? You know he did. I know he did. And then after the second dip, but brethren, are we going to obey the word of the Lord? And are we going to believe that every word of God is pure, including the word seven? Yes. Every word of God is pure. And after six times, just like the city of Jericho was getting pretty used to the city being circled every day, was there a difference on the seventh day? Amen. Was there a difference after the seventh dip? Amen. Because in both cases, the Lord said seven times. There's no magic power in seven. But there's glorious power in seven when the Lord says seven. And I hope that we read the word of God that way always. Luke chapter 7, verse 29. Here's what Jesus Christ testifies about the ministry of John the Baptist and what Luke writes for us. Luke 7, 29. And all the people that heard him, that is John the Baptist, and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. John the Baptist is out in the wilderness. He is dressed in some camel's hair with a leather girdle. His hair's grown out. He's eating locusts and wild honey. He doesn't live in a house. He doesn't live in a neighborhood. He's out there in the wilderness. And these people were going out to him, and he, he's telling them, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. That's what he had to say for himself. The Messiah is coming, and if you want to be prepared for his coming, Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, and be baptized. And it says, all the people that heard him. But brethren, I want to tell you something. In front of that word people, you need to understand the common people, the sinful people, the base people, is what is meant. That is the sense of verse 29, because verse 30 is going to tell us that the upper crust didn't want to be baptized. And all the common people that heard him, And the publicans, the tax collectors, the lower segment of society, justified God. Now, God doesn't need to be justified, does he? Isn't he already righteous? But how do we justify God? We justify God when we show him to be right by submitting ourselves to what he wants us to do. When he tells us to do something and we're willing to do it, we justify God by admitting by our actions that he's right. And we should do that. So they justified God by being baptized with the baptism of John. This was so much like Naaman. This was not a respectful place. Do you know where they had to go? The wilderness. Do you know where they were baptized? In the Jordan River. By whom? By this man, John the Baptist, who when you looked at him, do you know what the Pharisees could say about him? And there wasn't really a whole lot of defense. The man's got a devil. He looked... He looked crazy. But you know, there were a whole lot of prophecies in the Old Testament about this man. And his message was pretty simple, and it should have been pretty obvious. And anyone who could count up to 490 would know that the Messiah was there based on the 70 weeks of Daniel. Notice what it says about the ones that should have known, though. Verse 30, But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, 
being not baptized of him. John the Baptist was telling them all to repent, but the ones that should have known better, the lawyers and the Pharisees, did not repent, and they would not be baptized, and that's the way it is today. The, the common people, because God has chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith. James chapter 2 and verse 5, I believe, is the verse. He's chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, because the rich do not want to humble themselves before God. And it was true here. These men were trained in theology. And do you know what it would have meant? That with a THD, a doctor in theology, they would have had to go out and let a man who appeared to be a wild man baptize them in the Jordan River. That is too much. And the Lord, the Lord designed it that way. The Lord designed it that way. The common people gladly went and repented of their sins. Publicans and harlots were going down to that water and being baptized, and so did the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Pharisees and the lawyers would not do it. They rejected the counsel of God against themselves. Look at Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Let's see a simple man who did humble himself. I know you know these passages, but do you know the purpose of preaching? It's to remind you and to keep them in remembrance until they're well established in your heart and in your minds, to remember them. Amen. What we believe about baptism. Is baptism foolish is the question tonight. Acts chapter 8. Philip has been explaining Isaiah 53 to the Ethiopian eunuch as they traveled along in the desert in a chariot. Verse 36. And as they went on their way, Acts 8.36, And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? I love the zeal. An Ethiopian eunuch, a black man, a man who's been altered physically, a man who's serving Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, a Gentile. I don't care what things you want to mark against this man. The Lord has saved him, and he's got great zeal. Listen to his words. See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? So the Pharisees and the lawyers, they were confronted by John to be baptized, and they wouldn't be. And the Ethiopian eunuch, as soon as he spots an oasis, as they're traveling along in his chariot, we've got water. Can I be baptized? And so we have verse 37 in our King James Bibles. And please remember, if you're ever trying to show this to anyone else, you better give them a King James Bible because verse 37 isn't in the other versions. Remember, there's a question being answered. That's why verse 37 isn't there. Because there's a question that ends verse 36. What doth hinder me to be baptized? What condition must I fulfill to be baptized? What do I need to do to be baptized? Verse 37, Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Amen. And they commanded that chariot to stop, and they both went down into that water, and he was baptized right then and there. Amen. May the Lord be praised for a man with zeal to humble himself. He wasn't a Naaman. Even though he had great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, and he was in a chariot himself riding back to Ethiopia. And he had scriptures. He was important enough and wealthy enough to buy Isaiah 53. 
As soon as he saw water, and he was out there all by himself, he did not mind getting down into that chariot and going down to that water with Philip and being baptized. I hope you'll love his zeal. And we have five tonight. Do you want to be baptized tonight like the Ethiopian eunuch? Good. Good. Let's turn to my favorite verse. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. I'll never give you this verse too many times. It's too full, it's too good, and it's been corrupted so badly. I want you to know this verse. 1 Peter 3.21, it tells us this about baptism, the like figure. It's a figure like Noah's Ark was a figure, because Noah's Ark is in verse 20. Noah's Ark was a figure of our salvation in Jesus Christ. God put us in Jesus Christ, and He closed the door. There were no more going to get in, and no one was going to get out. It's a wonderful salvation that's described in verse 20, and it's because of Noah's eight-member family in the ark, saved from God's judgment on the earth for sin. But verse 21, our baptism verse says, the like figure. So baptism is a figure like the ark was. Baptism shows us a picture. Now, I want to tell you, brethren that are in this assembly, these children have heard this a few times from me and the catechism that I've now prepared for children. They have heard a few times that baptism is a figure. It is a picture. It is a picture of a burial and a resurrection. And it shows us three pictures, doesn't it? We're going to come back to that in just a second. The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, and momentarily forgetting what's in parentheses, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism is a figurative ordinance that shows the resurrection of Jesus Christ and it saves us by giving us an opportunity to do something toward God. It does not, as we now look at the parentheses, put away the filth of the flesh, but it gives the answer of a good conscience toward God. It is the means by which we are able to thank God for what He did for us through Jesus Christ. Until you have this outlet How do you thank God and tell Him that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that you believe He died for your sins, and you want to serve Him for the rest of your life? Cornelius wanted to hear about baptism. He, What did the angel come and tell him? When he was praying, and the angel appeared to him in Acts chapter 10, the first few verses, Go and send to Joppa for one Simon Peter, who shall come and tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Would he have dreamed up baptism in the next 10 years? No. But by baptism, he got to show a picture of what Jesus Christ had done for him and show his allegiance to God through Jesus Christ and his faith in what Jesus Christ had done. It's a figure. It doesn't put away sin or the filth of the flesh. It is the answer of a good conscience toward God. Now tonight, these five are going to be baptized. How important are you to the event? You don't have to be there. Now, really, just think, how important am I to the event? I just get them back up out of the water. Because baptism is done in such a way that the person going under and coming back up is passive, which is the way a dead body is, passive. So I am simply there to get them back out of the water. I've tried to explain to them I'm there to keep you from drowning. Because it's not my conscience. I'm not giving the answer. of a. have already given mine, and we wouldn't be having this service tonight. 
God knows that my conscience is already on the line about all five of them. That's between me and the Lord. But tonight I've tried to tell them that it's their conscience. Out there, I don't care who's looking at you. I don't care who may be looking under the hotel windows. You are answering God with your conscience. It is one of the most, it is such a precious ordinance to be able to answer God and tell him that you are thankful for sending Jesus Christ. And therefore, I want to be baptized. I want to be buried and rise again the same way that he was buried and rose again for me. That's one picture. You're going to be baptized to show a picture of how Jesus was buried and rose again for you. Then you're going to be baptized to show a picture of burying the old April for a new April to come up to live a new life. Right, Stephen? Victoria? Stacy? Sarah? And then third, even if Jesus Christ doesn't come back and we live long enough to die and they put our bodies in a cemetery, Jesus Christ is coming back to resurrect our bodies. You're going to show all three pictures tonight. This is a mystery. And you're young and you don't understand yet how few people believe it in the world. Even those that call themselves Christians, this is a mystery. We, anyone looking at what we're going to do tonight, it appears foolish. But it is a mystery revealed to us and it has a secret. And I just gave you the three secrets. It is a picture of Jesus Christ, burial and resurrection to put away sins forever. It is a picture of us burying our old man to walk in newness of life. And it is a picture of our hope of the resurrection of the dead at some future day. All of that in what we're going to do out here. It is a wonderful, glorious ordinance. Amen. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and I conclude. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. Let no man deceive himself. So easy to do. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. Amen. Naaman, did his servants give him this lesson? Naaman, become a fool. Obey the man of God. It's simple. And be clean. And he was made clean. Did the Ethiopian eunuch believe it? Did the publicans and the harlots believe it? Would the Pharisees and the lawyers do this? No. Chapter 4 and verse 10. Same book. 1 Corinthians 4.10. Here's what Paul said about himself. We are fools for Christ's sake. We are fools for Christ's sake. We're going to be fools for Christ's sake tonight. It's dark. The pool's been closed for a couple of weeks. There's leaves in it. You're going to be clothed. I'm going to dunk you underwater. We're going to be fools for Christ's sake. And I want to tell you something. There's angels in heaven rejoicing tonight with these five being baptized. I want all five of you in your hearts to be telling God that you are thankful that he has chosen you and loved you and sent Jesus Christ to die for your sins and that you want to follow him for the rest of your life. And you want to show him that tonight by your baptism. Let's be fools for Christ's sake. I'll go right down there in that cold water with you. And may Jesus Christ be praised.